Compassion is probably something that you find harder to provide for yourself than for others. However, did you know that self-compassion can also help your marriage? Yes, we often talk about, talk about what you could and should give to your spouse in marriage, but today we want to go over the need for self-compassion and talk about how beneficial that can be to yourself and to your marriage. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have a gentle and caring episode for you this week. It's number 268, and today we're going to be talking about self-compassion. Hey there, before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we discussed four key things to avoid when disclosing infidelity to your spouse. Worth going back and checking out. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. And as always, if you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound research-based advice, and most of all, we offer hope. All right, let's talk about self-compassion. Okay, what is it? What is self-compassion? Well, in Western culture, compassion is mostly thought of as something that we should be extending to other people. Mm -hmm. And in fact, most of what you read nowadays about self-compassion finds its root in Buddhist traditions, where compassion to yourself is considered to be as important as compassion to others. Okay. That's where it comes from. Now, Verlinda and I operate out of a Christian worldview for our listeners that are new to our show. And I think we can very easily point to a biblical basis for self-compassion in the second greatest commandment that the Lord Jesus stated, which was to love your neighbor as yourself. And that little phrase as yourself is the justification for taking a serious interest in self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Because your love for your neighbor or your spouse is going to be based on that. Right. And so, self-compassion was first defined by psychologist Kristen Neff, and she described it as kindness toward the self, which entails being gentle, supportive, and understanding. So, rather than harshly judging yourself for personal shortcomings, you offer yourself warmth and unconditional acceptance. Okay. Which is surprisingly hard to do. Mm-hmm. And the reason why this subject is worth addressing is that a growing body of research suggests that self-compassion is strongly associated with psychological health and less anxiety and less depression. Really? It's also, it is negatively correlated with those things as well as perfectionism. So that means that as your self-compassion goes up, depression, anxiety, and perfectionism goes down. Hmm. It's positively correlated with life satisfaction. Okay. helps with that. And research also indicates that it's associated with better emotional coping skills with a greater ability to repair negative emotional states. Like when you get stuck in grumpy mode, you being sort of our listeners, not you for a <laughs> And uh, generally yeah. a more positive state of being. Okay. So you can imagine all of those things, uh, you know, make you a better spouse. Yeah, no kidding benefit your marriage, and so on. Just make you a little more pleasant to be around? Yeah. But there actually was a study that looked at the effects of self-compassion on romantic relationships. Now, one of the limitations of the study was that it was done on young people who were undergraduate students in university who were dating. Oh, okay. Okay. But I think the results are still relevant. Those students who reported higher levels of self-compassion tended to report having higher quality romantic relationships. And why is that? Well, one good reason is that people with higher self-compassion are more aware of 
and more able to meet their own needs for kindness and self-comfort. Okay. And so in a distressed marriage, whereas a lot of the focus goes toward figuring out what your spouse needs or what's wrong with them even, this might be a little bit sort of counterintuitive to that, but it's about the ability to balance independence with connectedness, which is being able to observe and respond to your own needs as well as your spouse's. In conflict, but just generally in healthy relationships, it's super helpful, right? Okay. And it's also likely, uh, and I'm saying likely because I didn't have come across any research that confirmed this, but it's believed that individuals with high levels of self-compassion have stronger conflict resolution abilities. How's that? Or why is that? Well, because your compassion towards yourself is stronger, it's almost like you're not as worried about the self-protection piece Mm, because you're already taken care of. So you can see your spouse's point of view much easier during the disagreement. Mm -hmm. And you also see the struggle that you're having as part of common, sort of that common humanity thing. Like everybody struggles sometimes in their most important relationships. Okay. Rather than like something that's happening to you, like it's a personal hardship, like a sort of wallowing back into a victim state. Okay. So you can just be calmer in... All of that is presence of mind to better resolve the conflict that you're facing, right? Yeah. And so, you know, in essence, kind of getting back to where we started, it means you can love your spouse as yourself, even while you're in conflict, which is a very powerful position to be in. Not powerful in the sense of winning, but very, you know, adaptive, useful. Right, right. When you're in conflict. Yeah. So that's that's kind of some of the connections that we know right now to marriage. Like it, that part hasn't been studied a whole lot. Right, okay. But I think there's enough there to say, hey, yeah, this is worth taking an interest in for anyone who's wanting to work on their right. marriage it's as well. Right. It's going to influence your marriage. Yeah. Okay. So when am I going to use this? Like, obviously, in conflict, if I can... Yeah. I think I would have had to have been compassionate to myself first. Right. So that's where I'd say we need to start. Okay. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, we're fighting. Let me try to figure out self-compassion right now. That's going to be a tough spot. (laughs) So it's more like you get good at this and when it's innate, you'll bring it into your conflict almost without recognizing Mm -hmm. it. Okay. Now, compassion can be extended toward yourself when suffering occurs in circumstances that are no fault of your own. So for example, when the external circumstances of life are just painful or difficult to bear. If your company downsizes or your child is bullied at school or you have a parent who's given a difficult diagnosis. And so, yeah, the care for the other might be necessary, but what about compassion for your own pain in those circumstances? Mm -hmm. That's where we can start with self-compassion. Like it's hard to have an aging parent and not know what to do, Right. for example. So what does that look like? Like, what is this self-compassion? Oh, we're going to get to like how to practice it in a bit here. Yeah. So a more challenging example may be when you suffer as a result of your own mistakes or your own failures or your personal inadequacies. How are you going to take care of yourself when you screw up? That's a good question. Tough one. Mm -hmm. Should I even? People, I think you get a lot of- Yeah, like, don't we need to punish ourselves? Well, are you able to accept that you made a mistake to think about understanding and rectifying that in a calm, engaged way, in an accepting way? Mm-hmm. as if you were working with someone that you really loved and you wanted the best for, right? Yeah. That's the difference, but it's a great time to use self-compassion. Now, coming back... Why do we think we have to beat ourselves up? Uh, not talking personally or anything, but... That's a good question. Huh. My head's not really going there right now, but that's a it's worth thinking about. Mm-hmm. But coming back to difficult life circumstances, yeah. like can you show self-compassion in circumstances where you maybe previously have turned to self-medicating, binging on Netflix or YouTube or, or scrolling through Facebook or even substance abuse, pornography or retail therapy, like whatever your fix is. Mm-hmm. 
right? So one of the things that self-compassionate people do is they turn inward to offer themselves soothing and comfort. They allow themselves to be moved by their own distress so that, and they let that foster a desire to heal and a desire to overcome the difficulties that they're experiencing. They don't numb or dissociate or try to distract from the pain or challenges. They look at them. They look at what they need. Mm -hmm. They recognize those needs, and then they pursue adaptive rather than dysfunctional ways of meeting those needs. They take care of them. Okay. Well, I'm really looking forward to The how-to? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to get there. We have, once again, we have created a bonus supplement on the topic of self-compassion for our very much appreciated supporters who are with us month after month on Patreon. Thank you guys again. This guide will give to our supporters another four key techniques to improve self-compassion. Also gives a thought tracking exercise that you can do in order to really cement in the practice of self-compassion. Like if you notice your brain is not following you here. And I challenge you to make that thought tracking exercise a deliberate thing to do for a few weeks and just see how much that impacts yourself and your marriage. And you can get this by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. We'll take a 60 second break here to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive, and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at oyf.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we we're talking about when to use self compassion. Mm-hmm. And now, Verlinda. How to. Yes. Okay. So we're going to give uh, folks six ways to practice self compassion. Not six different ways, but they really work together, especially the first three. The first three are kind of the core constructs of self-compassion. Okay. And they are, number one, self-kindness versus self-judgment. So mm-hmm. just kind of give me the nutshell or the overview here. Number two, common humanity versus isolation, which means like, okay, probably a lot of people struggle with this versus oh, thinking I'm okay. the only person. Yeah. And number three is mindfulness versus over-identification which I'm not going to give you like a one sentence blurb on because (laughs) it's going to require a few sentences. Okay. So first one is practicing self-kindness. Those are kind of the top three, but we're going to give you six. First one is practice self-kindness. So rather than judgment and criticism toward yourself, self-kindness is the tendency to apply a caring and tender attitude toward your difficult circumstances or your experience of those difficult circumstances even better. Okay. And this could be with respect to something smaller, like maybe you don't get your physical exercise done for the day. So can you view that in a forgiving and kind manner, that oversight or that even laziness, if that's how you describe it? Understanding like tomorrow's a new day or do you beat yourself up? But but sometimes like, oh, you know, if I'm so understanding and so kind to myself every time, I'm never going to get anything done. That's because you haven't learned how to operate <laughs> from a place of self-compassion. <laughs> uh-huh. So, well, let me just follow me through here and then try it and see. Okay, okay. So if you notice, on the other hand, maybe some aspect of your personality that you dislike, like you have something and or something happens, you get your ugly on. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, can you treat that flaw gently? 
Like really pay attention to the emotional tone of the language that you use toward yourself. Is it kind and supportive? Is it caring? And again, like it's easy to think of like, well, this is coddling misbehavior, mm-hmm. right? But if you saw someone who you really loved do something that was hurting themselves and you really wanted the best for that person to help them not do it again, mm-hmm. would you be harsh? Mm. Mm. You're not asking me, are you? Right? <laughs> but that's the challenge. Right. Rather than attacking and berating yourself for being inadequate, offer yourself warmth, unconditional acceptance. Even if you do need to change, it's not pushing that away. It's not canceling the need to change. And it's not making excuses. But kindness does a lot more to prepare and enable change than criticism or contempt. Hmm. Even towards yourself. If I said, you know, when your child misbehaves, should you approach the child with, and like, you know, the behavior needs to change. Should you approach them with kindness or with criticism and contempt? Well, everybody's like, oh, kindness. Right. Well, why don't you do that for yourself? Mm -hmm. That's That's, the question, right? Yeah. So that's number one, practicing self-kindness. Okay. Number two, recognize your common humanity. So that's where it becomes important to recognize that it's not only human to make mistakes, even to do things that are wrong. And we also need to recognize that we're not alone in those things. And this is not the same as making excuses. Oh, like everybody does it. Yep. Okay. But the goal here is to reduce or remove any sense of isolation that like I'm the only person who would do something like this, for example. And so we have to understand that all humans are imperfect. We all sin, we fail, we make mistakes. My flawed condition, like Caleb's flawed condition is Mm -hmm. a shared human condition. Okay. And the same goes for my suffering. My life difficulties are part of the broader human experience. So the common humanity is not just around failure, but around suffering as well. Okay. And so it's comforting to know that I'm not alone and possibly there are even millions of others who've experienced what I'm experiencing. And where this really helps is in reaching out to others in the midst of our personal struggles so that we don't feel so isolated. Uh, you're not a, okay. you're not alone in this. Whereas if you are alone in this and you're the only person, you know, there's a lot of shame, there's a lot of isolation. So you don't need to worry about talking to other people because other people have been through it too. Like you yeah. don't, so that's being compassionate to yourself is yep. opening up to someone else yep. to get support. Yep. Okay. Where, and again, if I bring it back to the parenting kind of challenge, like if your child does wrong, mm-hmm. is the best thing for the child to isolate the child mm, or okay. to reach out and connect to the child to reassure them of your love and to point them to, you know what, mommy's been through this before right. and it's wrong or it's hard, depending mm-hmm. whether it's suffering or, or some kind of mistake or failure yeah. or sin, right? Yeah. Okay. So why do we isolate ourselves when we know not to do that to others? Third thing, practicing mindfulness. What? Mm-hmm. But I mean, do people know not to do it to others? Like, what if some people are like, oh, well, you know, if your kid does wrong, you need to isolate them and mm. and treat them with contempt. Like, so if that's how they're treating other people, why would they think to treat themselves any differently? Okay. Yeah. So some people who have had like a really difficult child rearing would have that like attitude towards a child. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be alone in that. I'm sure there's others. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But I think it's more common for people to know how to reach out to a suffering child than themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Number three, mindfulness. So when you're in the midst of a struggle, say in the middle of a lot of distress in your marriage, even you Mm -hmm. can very easily get carried away in a torrent of pain that you're experiencing, just a a rush of all those difficult emotions Yeah. to the point where you over identify with the problem and you're just like spinning in it. Like churning through the thoughts. Okay. And mindfulness just involves stepping back to observe and to notice what's happening. And it's a little bit hard for me to describe this, but let me run through here. Like what's happening inside you. Inside you. Okay. It gives you a little bit of distance and some more objectivity on your own distress. It allows you to kind of witness what's happening to you rather than be in what 
that's happening to you. Okay. It's not dissociation, which is kind of disconnection from reality. It's like you're disembodying yourself from what you're actually experiencing. So it's not that. Okay. It's more that you carefully observe what's happening, but you step back from needing to solve or to fix or to numb or to be overwhelmed in it. I often liken it to watching the credits scroll at the end of a movie. You're just kind of noticing what comes up for you. In your body. Yeah, in your body and your feelings though. Like, and then I see myself thinking about this and then this, this images, these images kind of flash through my head and, and then I start to hurt in my chest because I feel sad. So this is you kind of watching yourself, right? And I often tell people to like, try not to react to your reactions. Just observe, just notice, kind of let it scroll by. Like, don't get mad at yourself for feeling sad there or... Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You're a non-critical observer of your own experience. Hmm. And the practice of mindfulness helps people to step back from obsessing over negative thoughts or emotions, especially about themselves, which can help them get back to a place of self-compassion. Okay. It's again, say we look at the child, it's like, well, it's where we pause to say, well, what's really happening for this child? I don't understand why he's having such a hard time or she mm-hmm. is doing that for yourself. Okay. Huh. All good? Yeah. Okay. Number four, treat yourself as you would someone else. So one thing that some of my clients find helpful is to learn how to do this, even like treating themselves as they would treat a small child in need of their care and compassion. I've kind of been illustrating as we go through. Often we as adults will say that we don't know what we need. Like I'll ask, well, what do you need right now? I have no idea. Yes. Well, think of a small child in similar circumstances or with similar feelings. What would you want to do for that child? What do you think that child needs? And inevitably, we do know what those good, caring, nurturing things to do would be. And Hmm. so the question becomes, well, can you extend those things to yourself? Hmm. Yes. That would be very self-compassionate. Yes. Number five, kind of related to the common humanity, one is giving yourself permission to be imperfect. So in the Christian worldview, when I'm speaking at church, I'll sometimes refer to the need to recognize that our sanctification is incomplete. Yeah. And that sanctification is the process of growing in our faith and maturing in it. And so we are not who we want to be, but neither are we who we were. Mm -hmm. We're in a process of growth. And so it's helpful to cultivate a perspective of yourself that sees yourself as being in that journey towards wholeness and completeness. So the implication is that it's okay for you to not be there yet. You're not arrived. You're in the journey. You're on the way. And that helps us not to lose faith in our potential or our ability to heal or even in our ability to find ourselves a way out of difficult circumstances. I'm in a journey. I'll figure this out. Mm, I don't see it right now, but it's okay. I haven't arrived yet. Yeah. Hmm. So in in another way too, it allows ourselves to note our moments even of laziness or unproductivity without having to define ourselves by those moments. Okay. And yes, they, it's like, yes, they happen, but it's not all of who I am and I can find my way out of those difficulties too. Okay. Yes. Just because I've given myself permission to be imperfect. Yeah. I had a bad day yesterday. I didn't get much done, but it doesn't have to define me today. Whereas if I begin to tell myself I am lazy. I am. Yeah. You'll just start. It becomes self-fulfilling. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And number six, work with a supportive therapist or counselor. So therapy is an ideal context to have someone coach you through your first steps of self-compassion or to help you strengthen this. We know that our brains have the ability to practice self-compassion or to learn new patterns of thinking or behavior, but sometimes we need help putting that in practice. And what therapy does is it creates a safe space for you to notice your thoughts and feelings, like you kind of get someone who's going to gently point them Mm -hmm, out to you, mm -hmm. have a realistic perspective of yourself and others, which is a lot of what we've been talking about, and then to demonstrate empathy for yourself, to ask what you need. Uh, okay. Right? It kind of slows us down to really work through this. And in time, then you begin to internalize these skills to integrate them into your life. Yeah. 
So if you would like some help with that, we have a full service counseling agency and people that can help you. Just reach out to us through our website at onlyyouforever.com. So thank you to those of you who became patrons between this recording and our previous one. We had Marcus and Neil and David and Susie. Thank you to each one of you and to our regular monthly supporters. We yes. are thankful. Next week. Uh, next week, we're talking about how to respond to the rage of betrayal. So if you've committed infidelity in some way or betrayed your spouse and there's a stage immediately following discovery or disclosure where they go through a lot of anger and okay. it's hard to know what to do. Yeah. And so this is primarily for the betraying spouse to know how to best navigate those difficult and often extended moments. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Not nearly as much fun as today's, but I think no. uh, we'll get back to talking about compassion there too. Hmm, interesting. That is all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 268. Find out how you can help. Go to oif.support. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oif.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.